Good, good morning, Cornerstone Bible Church. My name is, is Isaiah Mackler. For those of you who are joining us this morning uh, and our guest, one of the elders here at Cornerstone Bible Church, it's a great blessing to be with you. I don't know if you've been counting, but this is now the 10th week that we've not been able to join with one another. And, and, and I can hardly uh, believe that as I say that. Um, I miss meeting with all of you. Uh, but trust by God's grace that he has been faithful to you and by his grace that you have been faithful to him. And that is what we are going to learn about this morning from Colossians 1 verses 21 to 23. It is about continuing in the faith, established and steadfast, not moving from the hope of the gospel. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Colossians 1. I'm just going to read a few verses. Colossians 1 verses 21 to 23 says in Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith of in, in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, giving your word to us, for preserving it, for this blessing, Lord, that although we are not joined together in body, our hearts can unite around your throne as we listen to you speaking from your word. And that is really what we want to do this morning in your grace. We want to listen to your words. So please, Father, I pray that you would help me to explain your words in a way that's faithful and true and, and that rightly interprets so that we will not be moved from the hope of the gospel. Thank you, Father. Please do amazing work that only you can do through your spirit working in our hearts to glorify your son so that you receive eternal praise. In Jesus' name, amen. On May 8th, 2007, the, 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 the executive committee of the Evangelical Theological Society uh, had a sad announcement to make. And this is the announcement that they made. On May 5th, 2007, Dr. Frank Beckwith resigned as president of the Evangelical the Theological Society resigned his membership as well. The resignation has come as a result of his decision to be received into full communion in the Roman Catholic Church, which he did on April 29th, 2007. After many years as a Protestant scholar and pastor, Frank Beckwith returned to the Catholic Church of his childhood. One Catholic website writes, on April 28th, which is the day before he resigned, 2007, Beckwith formally came back to the church through the Sacrament of Reconciliation. In his book, Beckwith recounts his first confession in 30 years, entering the face-to-face -face confessional, sitting opposite a priest from East India and struggling to recount his sins. He remembers admitting he wasn't sure he could remember all of them. The priest reassured him that, that that's all right, God knows them. For his penance, the priest asked Beckwith to say one Our Father and one Hail Mary to recite these two prayers. 
When Beckwith later told his wife about this, she thought that the priest was far too lenient. Frank Beckwith's wife, a few months later, joined the Catholic Church as well. But Frank Beckwith's right wife was right about one thing. The priest was far too lenient. An act of prayer, two acts of prayer, will not atone for our sins. The Catholic teaching of penance strikes at the heart of Scripture's clear teaching of where forgiveness is found. We've already looked at that in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1 verse 14 says, In whom, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Or Colossians 2.13, which Lord willing we'll get to in future weeks. When you were dead in your, tres- in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions. It is God alone who forgives our sins through our faith in Jesus Christ. The sinner who has been justified by faith, who has been declared righteous by God, does not have sins left to make up for. He can in no way add to what Christ has done. Penance is adding to the gospel. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, especially as we've been looking at, at, at the purpose that the book of Colossians was written for, what makes someone want to add to the gospel? Why would someone want to move on from the gospel? Perhaps some of those who who want to add to the gospel, move on from from the gospel, have been offended by Christians or they've been some way been, been, been hurt by someone who claims to be a Christian. Perhaps some are disappointed with God and perhaps that describes some of you this morning. Perhaps you don't approve of God's answers to life's hard questions. For others, perhaps they're disappointed with God not working with them on their timeline like they were hoping. They're in a constant attitude of being dissatisfied with God. Perhaps some, and perhaps again, some of you, are angry that you're not where you want to be in life. You're not emotionally where you'd like to be, not in the relationships you'd like to have. You're not financially where you'd like to be. And perhaps even spiritually, you're not where you want to be, struggling with sins that have haunted you for years. Perhaps some people want to move on from the gospel because they've been, been, been ostracized by a family member after they became Christians, and they miss the acceptance that they used to have, the welcome at the family dinners. It is, inter- it is interesting, the same website that, that I, I was reading about, uh, uh, about Beckwith says, in the end, it was a question from his eight-year-old niece, Darby, about why he and Aunt Frankie weren't Catholics. And later, his nephew Dean's wish that Francis be his, his, his confirmation sponsor that made him re-examine his relationship with the church. Beckwith missed relationship with family, and so he moved on from the simplicity and the clarity of the gospel found in scripture. Some people want to avoid the persecution that they could suffer for becoming a Christian or the persecution they suffered for many years from their family. Perhaps some look over their fence They look over and they see that everyone else looks happier. And they wonder, what am I missing? Some feel despair that they're not matching up with, we'll call them the spiritual Jones. They see people who look good and have happy marriages and everything in their life just seems wonderful with no real struggles with sin and no emotional struggles. And so they think, what am I missing? 
What do you do when you think there has to be something different? There has to be something better. In Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23 this morning, we'll see the Apostle Paul's encouragement to continue in the faith, to continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast. The imprisoned Apostle Paul, he was in prison in Rome for his testimony to this same gospel, had learned from, 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 from Epaphras that false teaching was starting to spread among the Colossian saints. False teaching was starting to get a foothold. We saw last week that it's tough to, to pin down all of, the, all of the, the specifics of this false teaching. Somehow it was teaching that promised to improve life. That would make the, the Colossians spiritual experience better. Or maybe we see Paul so often use the word fullness. It would make their experience fuller. That it would add to what they were missing out. Somehow that they, Christ was great, but they needed to add to Christ. Maybe they needed to add some, some, some rules that disciplined the flesh, some, some long held, held traditions, maybe a good dose of mysticism, some, some experience of angels to overcome perhaps demons. And again, it is difficult to get the, the exact specifics of this teaching, but there was something about adding to Christ. By listening to these false teachers, these promises of just add this, the Colossians were in danger of leaving the one who gives life. Now, Paul hasn't gone on the offensive against his false teaching yet, but he has winsomely shown, as we've looked starting at verse 9 and now up to verse 21, he's winsomely shown that these experiences and these supplemental rules, I'm not talking about obedience, but supplemental rules are not necessary. We first saw in verses 9 through 14 how, how simple and how beautiful the Christian life is. And for example, just when Paul's prayer, this, this life being filled with the knowledge of God's will, strengthened with God's power according to his glorious might for steadfastness and, and patience and bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God and giving thanks to the Father. That what he describes there is really a beautiful picture, a simple picture of a full Christian life. Then we saw in verses 15 to 20 last week how Paul puts a spotlight on Jesus Christ and he exalts Christ in all of his beauty, in all of his majesty, in him being the eternal God, the son of his role in, in creation, his superiority over all creation, and then his role in the church, the superiority over the first creation and then over the new creation. And because of that supremacy, we saw the sufficiency of Christ. So Paul has already really been addressing some of this false teaching in a very winsome way. And in summary, Paul so far has said, the supreme and sovereign Christ is sufficient for you to walk worthy of him. Christ is the one that you need and Christ is all that you need. Now in Colossians 3 verses 21 to 23, Paul begins to draw conclusions from what he's already said about the gospel and what he said about God's son. So this morning, we're going to draw 
three, uh, three, three, three applications from Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23, so that you continue in the faith. And I'm going to say we're going to draw, 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 draw three applications because Paul doesn't give explicit commands in these verses. But I think that as we go through, you'll, you'll see what he wants you to do with him. So we're going to draw three, three applications from Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23, so that you continue in the faith. So here's the first one. The, the first application, remember the power of Christ. Remember the power of Christ. And there's going to be three subpoints here as, as, as Paul quickly and just in, in, in just a verse, uh, a verse and a half is going to just a couple of verses going to describe the power of Christ to us as we remember the power of Christ. And the first way that we need to remember the power of Christ is remember who you were before Christ. Remember who you were before Jesus Christ saved you. In Colossians 1 verse 21, it says, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Paul uses a, a, a Greek word you for emphasis here. In verse 20, Paul had talked about how, how God's plan is to reconcile all things to himself in Christ. And we know that that's not the repentance of uh, every sinner, the repentance of fallen demon, as the Bible's clear about the eternal punishment of those who refuse to repent. But that, but that the all, all of the universe, spiritual and physical, is going to be submitted to God. But although there is that, that universal reconciliation to look forward to, in verse 20, or in verse 21, Paul highlights the you that the Colossians had already been reconciled. And by God's grace, that is your story this morning for many of you. You are those who have been reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. Paul uses, and, and, and the New American Standard has the word formally. The ESV has the word once. And this is a treasure chest of a word. This is a gold mine of a word. This is a truly precious word. And it's a word that Paul uses often. Think of Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. That used to describe you. You used to live in trespasses and sins. Or Ephesians 2, verse 3. Among them we too all formerly, we all once lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That is what we once were. Ephesians 5, 8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Or Titus 3, 3, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That is who we were formerly. That is what we once were. Or Peter gets in on this, 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 this the action here. For you once were not a people. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. You can see why I said that this is a gold mine of a word. This is a treasure chest of a word. You formerly, you once were. And then he goes on and describes what they once were, alienated. They were alienated from God. They were estranged from God. They were excluded from God. Ephesians 4.18 describes them as being darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. And we are responsible for this being excluded from God. It is because of the hardness of our hearts. Ephesians 2.12 describes how the Gentiles 
Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were excluded from all the sweet promises that Israel had as Gentiles. We were those who had no hope. We were excluded, estranged, and alienated. Not only separated from God, but not even longing to get back to God. See, we had willingly given affection to others. Like an adulterous man who leaves his wife and goes after other lovers. We had chosen other gods. We had we were excluded from that. We were alienated and estranged from the one true satisfying God. And Paul continues what we once were. We were alienated. We were also hostile in mind. Hostile. We were hating. We were enemies. We were antagonistic toward God. We were antagonistic toward his reign over all creation. And that mind there is not talking about our physical brain. It's not talking about that that organic part of us that thinks, but, but our mindset and the disposition of our life, the intentions of our heart. We had already looked at Ephesians 4.18. It says being darkened in their understanding, being darkened in their minds, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. We were ignorant. But we loved our ignorance. Our hearts were hard. We were like those who had gouged out our own eyes so that we couldn't see the sun. Romans 8 verses 7 to 8 says about our hostile disposition towards God. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We were like children who were raised to think that the other tribe were our, were our enemies. And from our birth, we, we hated and had animosity towards the other tribe. But that is how we feel towards God. We had an animosity towards him. Every inkling in our nature is hostile towards God. Now, some of us may not know that, but we understand that when we see God exalted in scripture and we see his sovereignty over his life and we start reading his commands and we, and we hear the call to die to ourselves and, and we're like, no, I don't want to. And all of a sudden the hostility in our, in our heart rages. We find that we always were like a, a, a dog that was uh, trying to eat its piece of meat. And all of a sudden that piece of meat is taken away from the dog and that dog lunges. And that's what we are when God's law comes. It exposes who we really are. And we, 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 we in, in anger say, no, this is mine. This is my life. That is who we were, and, and that's why Paul continues. We were alienated. We were hostile. We were engaged in evil deeds, he says. The overflow of being alienated from God and hostile in our thinking is being engaged in evil deeds. Hostile minds give birth to wicked deeds. That's exactly what Jesus describes in Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, and murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. That's what comes out of our hearts because of the hostility in our minds, because of our alienation from God. Galatians 5, 19 and 21, Paul describes what our flesh was like. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. We all see them, which are in, 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 immorality, excuse me, impurity, sensuality, 
idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, Paul said, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what is waiting for those who practice deeds of darkness. They will not enter God's kingdom. That is who we were, Paul says. That is who we were. That is our once. Now, Paul is not writing to make them feel bad about who they were. He's not rubbing their noses in it. He is looking back for the purpose of celebration. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you can join with me in that this morning. And that's why that once is not a, a, a damning word. It is not a condemning word, but it is a word part of your good news story. That is who you were. That is what you once were. That is your formally. See, this is not just us simply counting how many days since we last gave in to a certain sin or performed a certain activity. This is God's, this is our celebrating deep down of what God has done in us, of, of looking at what we formerly were and saying, but not anymore. God has changed me. That was what I was, but not anymore. Yes, I'm not perfect, but my core has changed. I rejoice that God has taken that savory bit of meat from me and exposed it as filth. See, Paul is giving them their before snapshot. He, he's showing them their extreme home makeover. He is showing them their biggest loser story. He's showing them what they were. Saints, what is your formally? What is your once? Remember it not all the details of it, but celebrate what God has done. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have a formally, you have a once. And even if you were saved very young, you know what that formally was. You know what that once was because you've seen enough of it in your heart since as you still fight that flesh that used to be hostile to God. That, that flesh that still influences your choices and your desires. Oh, we need to rejoice what God has done. We need to remember the power of Christ. We need, to re we need to remember the power of Christ in who we were before Christ. We also need to remember the power of Christ and remember what God did for you through Christ. Remember what, who we were before Christ, but also remember the power of Christ and what God did for you through Christ. Colossians 1 verse 22 in the first half, it says, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. Reminds us of where we were just a few weeks ago in Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Once you were enemies, but now you have been reconciled. You've been made friends with God through Jesus Christ, through faith in the sacrifice of his son. See, God has removed the basis of his conflict with us. And he has removed your conflict with him in this act of reconciliation. It says, in his fleshly body, in the body of, of Jesus Christ, in his flesh. And Paul makes it explicit here, perhaps to counter a false teaching that, 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 that Jesus hadn't become truly flesh. No, Jesus was truly flesh. His death was a real death. 
And this idea of reconciliation through death really is shocking for any of us who is not raised up in, in some kind of, uh, of, of background with, with, with understanding sacrifices. And even if that's a, a background of understanding the Old Testament. See, because a soldier may give his life to get someone's freedom. A fireman may give their life to rescue someone from the building. But normally death doesn't bring reconciliation. Really what death brings often is the end of the hope of reconciliation. But not Jesus' death. See, when, when, when you understand a sacrificial context, when you understand that, that when Israel brought that lamb as a sacrifice or that animal as a sacrifice, that they understood that God's wrath needed to be satisfied. And that sin needed to be cleansed before a relationship with God could continue. See, Israel's sacrificial system had prepared them for understanding that reconciliation would be only accomplished through death. And that is what God has accomplished through the death of Jesus Christ. Saints, you who have believed in Christ, you have been justified by faith. You have been reconciled to God. Your war is over with God. There is no more sacrifice needed. There's no further penance. Christ does not need to be sacrificed again and again. Hostility in your mind toward God by God's grace to the washing of his spirit has become love in your heart. And God's eternal love for you has satisfied his eternal wrath through the death of his eternal son so that you are reconciled to him and become adopted as his son. This is an amazing thing. There is no more reconciliation to accomplish. You, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been reconciled to God. This is an eternal act of God finished in Jesus Christ. This is why Christ shouts from the cross, it is finished. The sacrifice is done. The, the, the payment for sins has been paid. Reconciliation has been accomplished. Rejoice in it, saints. Rejoice in it. Remember the power of Christ. Remember the power of Christ and, and what you've been saved from. Remember the power of Christ and what God did for you through Christ. And then remember what God will do for you because of Christ. Remember what God will do for you because of Christ. And we see that in the second half of verse 22. In order, there's a future to look forward to. In order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And this is not just your standing in Christ now, although those things are true. In Christ, you are those things. But this is about the future presentation of you before God through the work of Jesus Christ. See, your reconciliation had a purpose, that God's plan was to present you before himself through his son, it gets very difficult to understand if this is before God the Father, before the Son through himself, and, and that you can really argue both. Ultimately, it is before God. Romans 14 says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, but only some will be presented holy and blameless and above reproach. And don't we long for that day? To be holy is to be without sin. To be clean and separated from sin and separated to God. To be completely appropriate to God's presence. To be blameless is to be without spot, without blemish, without stain of sin, to be morally, uh, to, to, to be undefiled by sin. To be beyond approach means that no charge against you will be able to stick. Can you imagine that? That, that? that every sin of yours would be in past tense? 
See, and that's what happens when, when God finishes our glorification of us. That when we stand before him, the, those declared righteous will be actually, truly, eternally sinless. The accusation of liar, the answer will be nope. Covetous, not anymore. Self-centered, never again. Proud, impossible for me. Because of who we are forever in Christ Jesus, when that new creation has completely dominated the old, and we are made like our Savior. Don't you long for that day? See, we don't make ourselves fit for God's presence. We will be transformed at the return of Christ. This is why God elects people. This is why God chooses them. Listen to Ephesians 1.4. That God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That's God's eternal plan. That, that the millions of us saints would be forever before him, holy and blameless. Ephesians 5.27 describes Christ's purposes that he might present to himself, and this is where the language gets tricky, be, to himself before Christ the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That is what we look forward to for that day when we are presented before Christ as his eternal bride, holy and blameless. And knowing what God is going to do makes us embrace this process of being transformed. Listen to 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. It's beautiful. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like Christ because we will see him just as he is. And that's what happens. When Christ returns, we will be transformed unto Christ-likeness, forever holy and blameless and above reproach. And everyone who has this hope Fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. And that's what we are engaged in now. We want to be as conformed to the image of Christ as possible. We want to purify ourselves now to get away, far away from every sin. Colossians 1.28 says, We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And that is our ministry to one another, that we would present every person complete in Christ, knowing that it's going to happen. And yet our goal now is for as much transformation in this life to happen as quickly as possible, knowing that when we close our eyes, when we breathe our final breath, we'll be ever like Jesus Christ in Christ's presence. Oh, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the power of Christ and don't, any, don't let anyone move you from the power of Christ that is in the gospel. We must remember the power of Christ. The power of Christ is in the gospel. And that is how we need to apply Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. But let's go on to verse 23, the beginning. The second application we have is preserve because preservation is essential. And I said preserve. Persevere because perseverance is essential. God does the preserving because preservation is essential. But we need to persevere because perseverance is essential. Colossians 1 verse 23, the beginning says, If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Verse 23 really is, in summary, the heart of what this letter is about. It's the concern which Paul, which prompts Paul to write this letter. 
Paul is not writing so that the Colossians would doubt whether God has reconciled them. He, he doesn't want them to, to hear that if and be crushed by doubt. And neither does he doubt Christ's ability to present the saints holy and blameless and above reproach before the Father. But he does say, if indeed you continue. And that continue means to persist, to persevere, to persevere in the faith, to continue in the gospel. Don't add to the faith. Don't subtract from the faith. Don't improve upon the faith. Don't modernize it. Don't be ashamed of it. Be content with the gospel. Be content with the gospel. The gospel is sufficient. And he says, firmly and established. And this is what continuing is. It's being firmly established and steadfast. It, it, it is architectural language that Paul uses here. To be firmly established is to have a firm foundation. It's used in the perfect tense here. Having been founded. It is the same verb that uh, Jesus uses in Matthew 7.25 in, in, in the parable of the wise and the foolish builder. The wise builder, it says, when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Our continuing in the faith, we need to continue founded on the faith, founded on the gospel, steadfast in it, firm in it, unwavering in it. We continue in the faith by being firmly established and steadfast. This refers to our conviction in the gospel, our persistence in the gospel. The gospel is the bedrock upon which our faith has been built. We are to continue in it. And then he says, not moved away. And it's a present passive. It says, not being moved away as if anything could, could get us off of this foundation. Not shifted, not being removed, not, not, not shaken off of it whether by our doubts or by others' promises, if you only add this. Have you ever played tug-of-war with a really big dog? When I was a kid, I had a big dog, and, and, and we had some chew toys. It was impossible to get the, this dog off of this rope or off of this chew toy. And that is how we need to be with the gospel. No way moved off of it. Or, or like a child clinging to its mother as its mother leaves to go shopping. And suddenly, being with father seems the most terrifying thing ever. We need to be like that child clinging to their mother. We need to be clinging to the gospel, not moved off of it. Not moved off of the hope of the gospel. The hope that has its source in the gospel. And what is that hope? Well, Colossians 1.5 talks about this hope. It's a hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. It is the certainty of God completing his gospel promises. It is the confident expectation that God will do what he says. It is our confident expectation, our hope of forgiveness, our hope of justification, our hope of reconciliation, our hope of transformation, our hope of glorification. And that's what it talks about in Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, 
when then you also will be revealed with him in glory. When we see Christ, we will be like Christ. It is our confidence of glorification. And it's the confidence, our certainty, our, our certain hope of eternity, of eternity enjoying God and creating for God and working for God and worshiping God and being entranced with his son and never sinning again. That is our hope that we are not to be moved away from saints. And Paul begins this description of continuing in verse 23 by saying, if indeed. <clears throat> and with this if, Paul is not expressing doubt. He's not expressing doubt that the Colossians hadn't really experienced God's reconciling work or that they didn't really have a true formally now. He's not saying, are you? Are you really saved? Are you? Are you? Perhaps you could translate it, assuming you continue in the faith. He said, I'm assuming you're going to, but you do have to. See, Paul is reinforcing that those who are presented to God holy and blameless and above reproach are the same as those who continue in the faith. There is a 100% correlation between those who are presented to God holy and blameless and above reproach at the end of verse 22 and those who continue in the faith in verse 23. The ground of our salvation is the finished work of Christ. But the condition of our salvation always has been, by grace you are saved through faith. Well, those who are saved through faith are those who continue through faith. Pastor John, John, John MacArthur writes, People give evidence of being truly reconciled when they continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast. Again, he writes, perseverance is the hallmark of the true saint. A true saint is one who perseveres. Paul's warning is to those who've been reconciled. They've been reconciled, but it's still a real warning. And this is not the only true warning given in Scripture. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, also from Paul. He said, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. He says, I'm, I'm proclaiming the same thing to you, which also you received in which also you stand. He's confident they stand in it, by which also you are saved. But then there's an if. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you, unless you believed in vain. It's not that he thinks they are those who believed in vain, but perseverance is necessary. They're going to have to persist. They must hold fast the word which I preached to you. Or in Hebrews 3.14, it says, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. We must hold fast. One commentator writes, continuance is the test of reality. If it is true that the saints, I'm sorry, it, yeah, if it is true that the saints will persevere to the end, and it is, then it is equally true that the saints must persevere to the end. Those who persevere to the end are those who persevere to the end. And it's true that some who do not have this real faith are exposed when they don't persevere. Listen to Jesus' parable of the soils in Matthew 13, verses 20 to 22. The one on whom seed was sown on in the rocky places, referring to the gospel being spread, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy that he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. See, it's possible to be moved away from the hope of the gospel. 
Verse 22 of Matthew 13, Jesus describes, And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Again, another who did not continue faithful, firmly, and established. First John 2.19 also describes, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that they would be shown that they are not of us. There are some who look like Christians, who sound like Christians, who say that they have faith, who think that they have faith, who don't continue and reveal that they were not of us. If we continue by faith, it is not by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It is not just a lot of effort to continue in the faith. Obedience is required. It is through God's grace. It is through abiding in Christ. It is through staying with Christ and remaining with Christ. Listen to what uh, Jesus says in John 15, verse 6. And this is kind of the, 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 the warning portion. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. This is what happens to the one who does not persist. But listen to the verse before, the good news in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we stay with Christ and he stays with us, we will continue to have faith. We will persevere in our faith. And yet we make the choice to persevere through God strengthening us. Listen to Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We need to work out. We need to continue in the faith. For it is God who is at work in you. Christ is in you, the hope of glory both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I encourage you, even as Paul, and Acts 14.22 describes Paul returning to the churches he had planted. And it says that he strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you today, if you have put your hope in Christ, continue in the faith. And if you have not yet put your hope in Christ, today is the day of salvation. In Acts 10.43, it says, Of him, of Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. You can be reconciled to God through today through faith in Christ. Put all your hope on him. Go to him and say, God, I need reconciliation. I want that forgiveness. Please save me. I put all my hope in Christ. Please do that today. But if you have been saved, continue in that faith. And Paul's telling us how to do that here. Stick to the gospel. Cling to the gospel. Don't let anyone take away from the gospel. Don't let anyone add to the gospel. Stick to Christ. He's glorious and sufficient. The first application we've drawn from this section is to remember the power of Christ. If you're going to continue in the faith, you have to remember the power of Christ and what you've been saved from and how you've been reconciled to God and how Christ is able to present you holy and blameless before him. Remember the power of Christ and then per persevere because perseverance is essential. Perseverance is essential. Every saint perseveres. So continue in the faith firmly established. Don't move away from the hope of the gospel. And here's our third application we're drawing. Don't drift from and don't add to the only gospel that can save. Don't drift from and don't add to the only gospel that can save. 
There's only one gospel that can say, don't drift from it and don't add to it. And, and I, think, I, th- I think this is just a little hint of where Paul goes next. And, 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 and th- this is going to be a transition uh, to, to, to the next section, but he's also reviewing some of the things he, he's previously said to them. Colossians 1.23, the second half says, the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. He's describing this gospel, they're not to move away from. The gospel that you heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and in which I, Paul, was made a minister. The gospel that you've heard. Paul is confident that Epaphras brought to the Colossians the true gospel. He's not worried about them having heard some kind of a fake gospel. He knows that Epaphras was able to communicate to them and indeed was a faithful servant. Listen to Colossians 1, 1 verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. He says, Paul says, I trust Epaphras. I know him. He brought the real gospel to you. The Colossians weren't lacking any essential content. Epaphras hadn't left off any key ingredients. The gospel they heard wasn't a starter gospel. They didn't need to upgrade their their, their operating system to gospel 2.0. It is the same gospel that Epaphras brought them, the gospel they heard, but it's also the, also the gospel which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Now, we know by the very fact we are, we are actively engaged sending missionaries. And isn't that some of the good news that quarantine is going to be ended because we are going to be able to share the gospel in new ways as soon as this ends? What testimonies we will have of God's faithfulness to us? I say that because the gospel, we, we know in ways it's not been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. We know that the gospel has not been heard by every human in Fullerton, not every human in Anaheim, not every human in North Africa, not any human in Southeast Asia, not every human in the Czech Republic. We know that. It's why we are engaged in, the, in these gospel advancing efforts. So what does Paul mean when he says it was proclaimed in all creation under heaven? Well, perhaps Paul Paul is referring here to God's own universal, his, his proclamation that reconciliation has been accomplished in his son when he resurrected him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. The proclamation has gone forth. A new age has begun. God has accomplished reconciliation. As Christ said, it is finished. And Romans 1, 4 says that, uh, Christ has been declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from, from the dead. In Revelation 5.13, we look forward to this scene, but in a sense, it's already going on. Every created thing under which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea, all creation and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. All creation and joy uh, join together in that praise. Perhaps this is like a king who makes a, 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 a proclamation from the center, from his kingdom, from his throne room, but then it needs to be communicated throughout the kingdom. Not everyone knows when the war ha- has, has ended. Just because a, truth, a truce has been signed, not everyone is ready yet to lay down arms. Some, there's still pockets of, of resistance. And that's what we see now. Universally, there's just pockets of resistance. There's homes in your neighborhood that are still resisting Christ's universal reign and they need the gospel. 
The proclamation has been made, but the communication continues. Paul describes that communication process in Colossians 1, verses 5 through 6, which you've previously heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. Just as in all the world also, it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. You, my, my dear brothers and sisters, have understood the grace of God and truth, and it has been bearing fruit and increasing among you. We don't need a new gospel. We got the only true gospel. We can't add to it, and we can't depart from it. The universal gospel is the only gospel. God won't make another universal saving proclamation ever. This is the last bus. You can't miss it. And then Paul ends. He says, of which Paul, uh, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. The apostle Paul describes himself as a minister, as a servant of this gospel. See, Paul's loyalty is to this gospel. And normally we hear of him saying he's a servant of Christ. Paul's loyalty is to this gospel as well. The gospel didn't belong to Paul. The gospel is not trademarked, not trademarked. It's not a, 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 a proprietary gospel. There's no fee to its rights. Paul was a servant of the gospel. He's privileged to be a gospel servant. And Paul wasn't the only apostle, but he, the other apostles, has been chosen by God to proclaim the news. And Epaphra told it to the Colossians, and the Colossians told it to others. And that is what has been going on for 2,000 years. We stick with that apostolic gospel. The gospel the Colossians believed was the gospel that Paul served. And the gospel that I served is the gospel that you believe. And the gospel that you believe is the gospel by God's grace, those who you tell will serve. Brothers and sisters, don't drift from the true gospel. Don't add to the true gospel. It is authentic. This gospel of Christ dying in the place of sinners, of being resurrected and exalted and waiting to return of sinners repentant and forgiven and believing. This gospel is the authentic gospel. It is the universal gospel. It is the only gospel. It is the sufficient gospel. There is not a gospel specific to the 21st century. There's not a Gen X gospel. There's not a millennial gospel. There's not a postmodern gospel. There's not a gospel that's been tweaked a little bit for Muslims. There's no more gospels. There's no more apostles out there who can sell you another gospel. Science can't revise the gospel for us. Medicine won't complete the gospel. Some new archaeological find isn't going to amend the gospel. There's no need for spiritual gurus who are going to supplement the gospel. A church of any name, of any kind, can't add to the gospel. And anyone who does that, they are not giving you the true gospel. The gospel is sufficient to save and sanctify. It always has been and always will be. This is the gospel that the prophets bear witness through. Through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Everyone who receives, believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel. There will always be a huckster out there willing to sell you. That's good, but let me give you something extra, something additional, something next. Something fuller. The gospel that has saved you is bearing fruit and increasing around the world just as it has been for nearly 2,000 years. And if God the Father chooses for 2,000 more years to wait to send Christ back, it's going to keep going. 
But it will only be this one gospel that anyone is saved by. So don't leave the gospel. Continue in the faith, saints. Established, steadfast. Don't move from that hope. I'm going to go back to, to the Catholic website I was, I was reading from earlier. It says that Dr. Beckwith is happy with his new religious choice. And, and, and I'm going to highlight a few of his sayings because really they highlight his emphasis on something fuller, a better experience, something special. So Beckwith says in, 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 in his book, Return to Rome, my return to the Catholic Church had as much to do with a yearning for a deeper spiritual life. That was the caution false teaching. He says it had to do with a yearning for a deeper spiritual life. It's to do with theological reasoning. Since becoming Catholic, I've become much more prayerful. I, I read the Bible far more often after, he says, getting this deeper spiritual life. He continues, I sometimes find myself silently praying a Hail Mary or an Our Father while driving or working out. I'm not averse to asking particular saints to pray for me or to recite the prayers of some of my favorite saints, such as Thomas Aquinas. When doing this, listen, I gain a greater sense of that of which I am a part. Colossian false teachers were selling a greater sense of that for which I'm a part. The wonderful body of Christ, he continues, that transcends time, space, and death itself. He continues, I have participated in such practices as saying the rosary and praying the stations of the cross. These practices are good and rich, but the sacrament of reconciliation, or, or, or and most of us know, know, know it as confession, going to the box and telling sins to a priest, says the sacrament of reconciliation, I, 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 I hate saying that, has been the most, and I'm continuing with the quote here, has been the most liberating aspect of my Catholic experience so far. Listen, a liberating aspect. Although many Catholics acquire a deeper walk with God, that's what the Colossian false teaching was, through the real presence of Christ in, in the Eucharist, I have found confession to be the place which I experienced the gratuitous charity of our Lord at its fullness. He says again, which I experience. This is honestly, brothers and sisters, a terrifying example of the kind of adding to the true gospel that the Apostle Paul warns the Colossians against. That temptation is going to look different for each one of us. Brothers and sisters, we must not add to Christ. The grass is not greener. Continue in the faith, firmly established, steadfast. Colossians 2, 9 through 10 says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. Don't be moved from the hope of the gospel. Let me pray. Father, I thank you uh, for the word that you've given. I thank you, Father, for the power of the gospel that so many of us have experienced in our lives that we know what we once were, that we've been reconciled to you through faith and we're certain of that reconciliation. And we are confident that you're going to present us holy and blameless before you. We rejoice in the power that Christ has. And yet, Lord, we want to be those who persist. We want to be those who persist because persistence is needed. 
and perseverance is needed. So please, Father, help us to be those who persevere, who continue in the faith. Help us to be wary against those who would add to it. Help us, Father, to repent if we have been adding to it. Help us, Father, uh, to warn those who are in the process of adding to it. Help us, Father, to plead with those who are in danger of leaving this faith. Father, help us not to drift away. And Father, I know this has been a difficult season for some. Father, they are imagining that some people have this amazing Christian experience that if they only go to another religion, if they only get a little bit more freedom, if they only get a little bit more liberty, if they only do a little bit more, if they only can lose weight. If There's so many if-onlys, Father, uh, that, 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 that we succumb to. If we only have our Bible times every day, so many things we seek to add to Christ. Father, I pray, Lord, that the saints' hearts would be full to bursting with Jesus Christ, with our fullness in him, and then we would continue in him. Lord, this is the work of your spirit in the hearts of those that you truly save. Keep us abiding in Christ. There's no other place. In Jesus' name, amen.